0: Welcome back to the Brain Care Podcast and once again we have uh, Maya Goodkar in the studio and she is here to talk about the mostly positive impacts that she's uncovered in her research around social media and mental health. So Maya, welcome back.
1: Hi, great to be with you again.
0: So Maya, um, we've learned a little bit about you in the last episode, what drew you to the topic and some fun facts and surprising nuggets that you uncovered over the last year whilst you were researching social media's impact on us but here we're going to take a bit more of a deep dive right so you know where would, where do you want to start because you've research, you've got so much research to share only a limited amount of time which means you're going to have to be your own editor and be selective with what is crucial to share with our audience where do you want to start
1: yeah so i think it would be good to link back to something that we talked about last time which was social comparison So with social comparison, so a large number of the studies that I looked at identified the pivotal role of social comparison in social media engagement. And what I mean by that is if you go on and you end up engaging in a lot of social comparison, that is going to have a detrimental impact on your well-being. If you go on and you engage in much more connection, as one example you're more likely to have a positive impact on your well-being from using social media. When you actually break down social comparison and the things that influence how much that happens for you, there are lots of factors. The first thing to notice or to note is that the platform choice impacts comparison. Some platforms are particularly bad for this. Uh, LinkedIn is actually the highest in terms of social comparison. Twitter is lower. I wonder what they would say about Clubhouse because that didn't yet come into the research. So that would be interesting. So platform has an impact. Your personality also has an impact. So you will have some inherent orientation towards social comparison. Different people will have different levels of this. And if you are somebody that compares in the real world a lot, then the chances are that's going to be really amplified in the online world where information can be transmitted so easily. You can compare to a much wider base and all of those things. So if you notice that about yourself, then you just want to be that bit more mindful in the online world. These are the things that can influence comparison. But, you know, social comparison is, a, is an age-old concept. It's not something that was born on the internet. And it can be a really useful form of learning. And so when you think about it like that, you can actually benefit from social comparison if you do it well. What I noticed in the research were different things. So one was looking at your individual levels, and there's actually a scale that you can complete to understand your levels of social comparison. And based on that, you can get a sense of where you lie and therefore how vulnerable you are. And then you can sort of, you know, moderate your activity accordingly accordingly. The other interesting thing is breaking it down into upward and downward social comparison. So those have obviously very different impacts on your well-being. The problem is often people go online and do a lot of upward comparison, and that's the one that's going to have more negative impact on your well-being. But just being aware of that because there are actually positive psychology studies which, you know, you might have a sort of a moral view on these, but they've shown the beneficial impact of downward comparison on people's well-being. So that's sort of saying, you know, you know, considering yourself lucky, I guess, compared to other people. So just being aware of that, actually, because in that sense, you can, you know, with good intent, you can say you almost have a a gratitude around your your current state rather than only looking upwards. The other way that social comparison can vary is the type. So there's something called opinion based social comparison. And I think that happens a lot on Twitter So sure sure is a place where you exchange ideas, you exchange opinions, that can be really healthy, because if you're engaging in a lot of opinion based comparison, you can actually develop your opinions, and you can enhance your your way of thinking, and it can be a positive thing. And the final thing I'm going to say there is that comparison can be broken down into benign comparison and malicious comparison. And so malicious obviously means that you've you're sort of got a slightly ill intent towards the people you're comparing yourself against. That's not good. Like, that's not helpful. When it's that more benign thing, you see see things, you're like, wow, right, they're, they're doing well. If you can have more of a, a benign intent there then actually that can be motivational, inspirational. And so again, therefore, you've got a kind of a positive learning effect. And to me, just being aware of these things means that, let's say you are a high comparison-oriented person, you can start to shift your your direction a little bit towards some of these things like opinion-based comparison, downward-based comparison, and inspiration-based comparison that can all be positive. And to me, these are far more constructive than just telling somebody, honey, don't compare yourself.
0: (laughs) Brilliant, okay. Now that was on comparison, so what else did you learn? Because there is like reams of data that you've spent a year with, so uh, keep feeding us. We wanna hear about the positive impact.
1: Yeah, so impact then is, is the next area that I looked at. So think of comparison as a condition of your engagement. So under what conditions did you engage? I then wanted to understand, look, where there are positive outcomes, what are these outcomes? Because if we can see these in a structured way, then we can be quite intentional about seeking those outcomes when we go online and not getting distracted. And I see that a little bit like, you know, when you do your online shopping, you've got your favorites list and you use that. Whereas when you go into a supermarket and you go to the junk food can- you know, and you pass the junk food aisle, you end up being distracted with all of these other things. So that was my my sort of motivator there to say, okay, well, let's identify these positive outcomes. And what I did, this is where I drew from positive psychology to say what frameworks have we got in positive psychology? So there are some lovely flourishing frameworks and thriving frameworks. And I found a really good fit between a particular thriving framework, which identifies lots of areas like relationships, engagement and meaning, identity, subjective well-being, optimism as an emotion and mastery. So these are some of the positive domains of flourishing. And what I found was that the research was showing outcomes in all of these spaces, particularly in relationships, which I guess is intuitive. There were a lot of positive outcomes and it got broken down into certain areas. So social support was a huge outcome area. So a lot of the studies were finding that for different groups, so it could be a minority group, it could be a group with disabilities. It could be patient groups. For a lot of these groups, the social support that they were able to derive from being on social media was a really positive impact on their well-being. There was also stuff around reduced loneliness and sense of belonging. So again, that sense of relatedness, which is a fundamental human need. So that's in the relationships, but you know, there was a lot there. The other, the area which actually I had to add uh, to the framework because it wasn't sitting there in a traditional positive psychology framework was identity. So a lot of the papers talked about the cultivation of identity. This is an area where you have to be really careful because in adolescents, when their identity is perhaps not as fully formed, they can be really vulnerable as well. So I don't want to say, look, it's all good here on the identity front, but used in a well-intentioned and strategic way there are a lot of benefits in terms of your personal identity, but also your social identity, because social identity is how we relate to others. And obviously social media offers that opportunity to get rapid feedback, rapid interaction. And if we, if we do that well, we can cultivate a sense of self. I would say at a broad level, my research has suggested to me that you can get yourself into a positive spiral a positive flourishing spiral and that actually is because the relationship between social media and well-being is bi-directional so if you've got great well-being that means, you know, you've great, great physical vitality, your psychological well-being is good, your self-esteem is good, your sense of mastery, all these things that can be defined as psychological well-being in the literature. If that's all great, you're going to fare better online, right? That's a good number of the studies that I found showed that. And likewise, if that happens, you start getting a positive feedback loop because you can, you know, experience the benefits and less of the downsides. So what I would say is a sort of a high level takeaway is don't get too concerned if you sort of, if you see all of that negative stuff online about, you know, the mental health, don't just think, gosh, I just need to cut that out of my life. There were studies that showed that reducing your time online could have a positive impact. Complete abstinence didn't have a positive impact. So yes, you can really structure your time spent online and be mindful about that, but there are benefits to gain. But don't put all your attention on that. If you can't, if you're struggling to sort of master that, then just focus on your other areas of well-being, and you will be supporting. So if you can do your mindfulness, you will start to increase your ability to re- remain autonomous online. I've started to actually say to myself and say to others that nowhere is mindfulness more put to the test than when you go onto your phone and go onto social media. I almost think there's some sort of a digital enlightenment is, you know, your levels of mindfulness being so high that you almost can resist everything that has been structured to draw you in. So whatever you can do to cultivate that mindfulness, jotting down before you go online, you know, what you want to do, being really aware of the time you spend. And then as Dr. Rangan Chatterjee also mentioned, then perhaps jotting down how you feel afterwards, you're starting to increase your levels of mindfulness.
0: Okay, so what are the positives and negatives from a year of research at a high level that we should just be aware of? Let's start with negatives so that we can end positively.
1: I would say that when it comes to the negatives, there are some obvious areas like it can enhance negative emotions such as jealousy. We've talked about comparison. There, there have been a lot of studies that have linked social media use to depression and to loneliness. But I, without wanting to negate those, they're often correlational. So you've got to question which way the relationship is going, right? Is it going from depression to excessive use? Or is it going from excessive use to depression? But those studies are out there. So it does have psychological impacts. Uh, these vary across the lifespan. So they're very different for adolescents and teenagers who are in far more developmentally formative years than it does for older generations. And those are now being researched as well, the older generations, and they often have a far more positive um, experience with social media, because in some ways, they're coming to it whole. And so, so they're fine. So these things really vary across the lifespan. And then in the positives, I would say, Relationships have been identified as an absolute huge and key pillar of uh, well-being and flourishing. And what social media can do is it can facilitate those. There is a lot of research into online benefits and how much they uh, translate to offline. And again, so here I'm also giving you a mixed picture even of the positives. It really depends. So if that interaction online facilitates an offline relationship, then it has a positive impact. If it displaces that interaction offline because you end up like this rather than interacting with those around you, it will have a negative impact. So that nuance is critical. And I think that's what's so interesting about this research is that it's not one or the other. It's not right or wrong. There's a, one level of complexity that if you can start to get more familiar with, you can really enhance the way you use it. And the final thing I would say is that displacement thing is absolutely key, is what are you displacing by spending that time? And is that okay? And what are you facilitating by spending that time? And if you can be aware of those two things, then you can hopefully keep a bit more balance.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Maya. Where can people find you and follow you?
1: So I'm at Maya Goodka on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me also on my website, which is mayagudka.com. And you can listen to my podcast, which is The Golden Hour.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Maya. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. It was great to be here.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays see you next week